Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, this is comedian and depressed alcoholic James Nokise, and you're listening to Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, a podcast about headspace and happiness. From my safe place, the shower, with fried chicken. This episode, I'm speaking to economist, author, and retired slash recovering politician Marilyn Waring. We'll chat about spending time in the shower. It's the first time I've shared a shower for a long time. <laughs> spending time on the farm. I was chief goat. <laughs> I was their protector. And spending time in Parliament. I would arrive at work and I would have to go and I'd be very sick. I used to interpret that as just not being able to stomach this place mm. anymore. Some of this will get a bit real. The language, the subjects. So make sure you're in a safe space with your comfort food. And join us. Eating fried chicken in the shower. We don't have fried chicken today. No. A special request from me. Which is absolutely fine. Because I'm not really into fried chicken, and I'm not sure about the temperature of our dumplings well, that's here. That's why I think we better... Chicken and mushroom dumplings. Oh, so we'll great. see how we go. Um, a big dumplings person? I really like dumplings, but I'm a bit fussy oh, right. about how they're prepared. Well, there's no pressure on um, No. And also my um, brother's partner... And her friends from mainland China oh. whip up mean homemade dumplings, you know. Oh. So it's very hard for the rest of the yeah, world this is, this is, to I, compete. Well, I think we'll lower our expectations before we dive. Oh in. no, they feel hot. Oh, good. Ooh, now these are <laughs> these are looking fairly good because see they've got that crispy colour oh. on one side, which you really need. That, I don't know what to look for in dumplings. Well. The taste, obviously. Mm. Now, nobody's helped us very much here because really we need to mix the soy and the uh, chilli sauce together. Oh, really? We do. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, how about you take one soy and sort of splot it over. Okay. And I'll take one chilli and see if we can manage here. Here we go. And messy. This is now drippy and messy. (laughs) So you might want one for your hand as well as for down there. Just sparing. And it's too much for one mouthful. But this is the only way I ever find out how to handle them. Like that. How are we looking? Oh, not bad. Mm. Mm. It's Mm. good, isn't it? Yeah. And see, this is the point about this is comfort food as well. Yeah. The other thing about my comfort food... Mm-hmm. Is I always like it to have a little playway. Playway? Playway. Well, you know, you've got to mix the sauces and you've got to use. Yeah, right. You know, like Peking duck is the best playway food. How so? Because out come all these baby pancakes, right? <laughs> and then out comes the duck, and mm. you've got it, you've got your pancake here, so you load the duck, load the spring onion, mm. load the sauce. 
think I'm missing something. <laughs> Roll it up with your fingers mm. and then eat it and it splodges everywhere. See, so play food. It's okay. like play. When I'm, I'm, when I'm feeling a bit mm. shitty, mm -hmm. you know, awesome. play food because you notice that you're eating. Right. You know, sometimes when you're not feeling great yeah, you're and you just, yeah, totally, yeah. you're probably what you did in the shower. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this kind of food, you actually have to pay attention. Yeah. Right. You see, and that's distracting. Right. From the, mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you've just uh, released this book. The Political Years. The Political Years. And they're incredible years. Yeah. It was, well... It's very hard for me to know compared with any others because, like, those are the ones I was there mm. and it was pretty rugged with Muldoon. But uh, I've had female friends who've stood as candidates for office and who've disappeared, so it wasn't as rugged as it can be right, for yes. some women. What strikes me is that you sort of got into politics out of more of a necessity than any sort of ego or... Uh, no, I was being an activist, you know. Yeah. It was International Women's Year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I'd gone to a women's electoral lobby meeting in Wellington. There were some wonderful women, you know, Marika Robinson, Judith Aitken, Sonia Davies, Margaret Shields, this terrific group of, of leaders who were older than me. And the... Um, Secretary had written off to the Social Credit, Labour and National Parties asking why they didn't have more women candidates. So although women had had the vote since 1893 and were able to stand for central government since 1919, there'd only been 13 women members of parliament. And uh, every one of them was like they'd all had coffee together and said, oh, those women are such a nuisance. Look, we'll just all reply the same thing. <laughs> so they all replied and said, I would love to have more women mm. stand, you know, if only they would uh, submit their nominations. And my response to that was, what a load of cobblers, you know. So a group of us should put our names in, and we won't get selected, but mm. at least we start to take away that as an excuse. Mm. Except mine backfired. Yes, because <laughs> for um, well, our listeners unfamiliar, you are at that point 22? Yeah. You haven't been, you're elected when you're 23, but you're 22. Yes. So is, is it precocious? I think it's very precocious. But um, I wasn't, in a funny way I took it seriously mm. because I didn't want anyone to be able to mock young people or young women in particular. Mm because I didn't perform very well, right? But the prospects of my winning, mm. were, you would have been able to get amazing odds on that. Well, it, 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 reads, <laughs> it reads like a film. For six years, I was the only woman in In, in, Rack, in Rackland. Yeah, in Wiper. Yeah. Cool, huh? The people of Raglan were hilarious. They played Pass the Parcel. Oh, it was an me. amazing group of characters there. Yeah, 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 really wonderful characters. Like, especially the night when I go to bed mm. and there's a row going on. Yeah. And two or three hours later, I'm bolt upright in bed because the gun's going off in the room next yeah. door. 
And I think, oh, God, he shot her. You know? <laughs> and then I hear, finally, I hear them talking and some sort of animal screaming. You know, <laughs> Nobody comes and knocks on my door or anything. And in the morning he said, oh, I hope it didn't disturb you too much, but a possum came down the <laughs> chimney. This is just life in Raglan. But they wanted to teach me and, like, my book learning is fine, you know, mm. that's fine, I can take care of that. But real life stuff. If you're 22, you know, I knew I didn't know much of real things. But that's very right? wise. Well, and that I, want, I wanted people to teach me and mm. I was very, very open to that. You know, if you're constantly curious and you never think you know it, mm. um, and that's just me, that's what excites me. Mm. Because there is a, there's a matter of factness about the way that you approached all of these things. It took a long time. Mm. You know, writing is hard. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, yes, <laughs> writing I is that. really hard. Um, and I also knew that it was very important. I had to wait until I wasn't angry about anything mm. anymore. Over the years, I've read quite a few autobiographies from different parliamentarians and too many of them start the book after their defeat mm. or after someone has succeeded them and if you write that vitriol onto the page you know it hits the reader it's not the reader's fault mm. it's like you're reading the book and you go it's not me mm. I don't, it wasn't me I didn't do that but it's coming off you like yeah. this yeah. so I needed to be well rid of all of that sort mm. of thing, yeah. Can I ask, are you a sociable person by no. nature? The reason I ask is... <laughs> <laughs> I know the worst possible job. Yeah. Oh, oh no, I'm not. No, it's a, a, because <laughs> I, I'm not really a sociable person. And crowds, give me a mic in a crowd, sure. Control, controlled environment. I... For years, I've hidden behind the guitar. You hide behind the mic. I hide behind the guitar. You get the guitar out, it's safe. You know, it's like a barrier now. I'm here to play with my guitar. I'm not here to talk to you. Right. So um, I've been able to abandon that as a strategy now, (laughs) which is quite good. Um, But no, you know, God, the number of people I had to be polite to. Mm. It's a huge imposition. Mm. over those eight and a half to nine years. And people are really rude. Mm. You know, you're a public figure, so they own you. Mm. So they walk up and tell you in the, you know, in the airport that you shouldn't be wearing jeans, you know, as a mark of respect to the office. Um, Or they constantly interrupt you when you're out at dinner in a public restaurant with friends. Mm. or they're very, one of the hard, really, really hard things for me was, you'll just have to excuse me mm. a moment, the people who physically would mm. get into too close, too space, mm. holding me, men groping mm. down here, mm. women, I don't know what, but it's mm. like, get off my body. <laughs> but you, can, you can't yes. actually so fuck off. Yeah. You know, like it's hard enough in here without that. Don't suffocate me anymore. Yeah. So, yes, I found it really difficult. We have something uh, people of colour often talk about, the, the defence mechanism smile. Um, I didn't smile much. Right. 
Well, I think I, I expected a lot of people to be on attack when they came mm. near me. Mm. So I was just putting it up there. I had friends who called me the Ice Queen. Right. You know. Yeah. And so I obviously had that deadly for people. Start giving nothing away. Well, and piss off, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eating fried chicken in the shower. Warm yourself up or just tell everyone to piss off. One of the things that jumps out in the book, especially I think uh, towards the end of it, is your physical response to being in the government um, and you, uh, the way that their behaving doesn't sit with you. Physically, you're nauseous, you're throwing up. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's very, very directly <laughs> linked to those buildings. So it started first in 1981 during the Springbok tour mm. and I would run every morning mm. and run to work and I would arrive at work and I would have to go and I'd be very sick. I'd go and stick my finger down my throat. Um, and I used to, <laughs> to interpret that to myself as mm. just not being able to stomach this place mm. anymore mm. because when I went home on the weekend, it didn't happen. Right. And then in 83, 84, as things got worse and worse, it came back again. Um, and I, took me, I didn't even know there was a word for it, mm. believe me. I had no idea yeah. that there was a word for it. It was just like, oh, well, that's just something that happens every day. There's nothing I can do about it. Get it over and done with quickly. Get in the shower. Get on with life. Mm. And so, did it, was it empowering to like know that it was bulimia? And no. The, no? No. <laughs> still, you still, it doesn't really help? No. The most empowering moment was the moment of purge, you know, so that yeah, got yeah. rid of that for the rest of the day. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's an incredible response. And those buildings, I don't think if people haven't been in the beehive, I don't know if they understand. It's almost demonic to a degree, the, the concrete shafts and the way it's... Because I, I think it looks quite mm. spacious in those opening parts, and then you kind of get into the other room. Well, and Pevsner talks about the Victorian Gothic of the old upper house, for example. Yeah. You know, so and in the in the main chamber, it's all the battles of World War One, mm. and the shields all the way around the chamber. So, it's not about women. One of the things uh, was it uh, the beginning of your final term? First sentence: "This will be my final term." I told no one. Mm. You know? Exactly. How aware were you of being close to burnout? Really, probably from the very first abortion debates. Right. Which is but, amazing. Can I? Sorry, I need to. Mm. That is, if you read the book, the first abortion debate is it's Hollywood. It's it's shocking. Yeah. It's Alabama and Mississippi it is. in 2019. It is. It is. It's a real shocker, and I, of course, think. That we'll get the same stuff again. They'll already be organised. They'll already be funded. You know, the anti-reproductive freedom people. It's been 40 years. Yeah, yeah. How does that sit with you to see you've done all this and it circles back around? Um, or some, or has never gone away. Or has never, sorry, yes, that, I think that's a much clearer Because, way you know, every woman who's got to go to the GP and the two certifying consultants and the operating surgeon, mm. it hasn't gone away. Mm. There's so many things that haven't gone away. The, the, the efforts to stigmatise people on the DPP, mm. which reared its head just a couple of weeks before we're speaking. Mm. The 24-7 carers who were supposed to be compensated with the introduction of the DPB in 75 to 76, and very quickly got thrown out of that particular 
benefit. Mm. And these people who 24 hours, seven days a week, you know, you'll know, especially in Māori and Pacific communities, mm. you don't send mum or dad mm. to the rest home. Mm. You're going to do it at home. Mm. Let's take a, a, a person who is in South Auckland, member of the Pacific community, lost a limb through diabetes. You're going to need two people mm. at home to care for them. And they're going to be called unemployed. And they're going to be harassed by the government mm. because they're not working. Mm. Well, this is outrageous. Mm. They're already working too much. 24 by 7 minus 80 hours a week, 240s, mm. right? There's no way. These two people are doing double time, triple time, you know, the whole thing. Mm. And they're being persecuted and punished. Mm. And this has to stop. This is impossible. So, and of course, the whole violence against women and children mm. area, which you know, makes us weep in New Zealand and oh, the absolutely. extent of it and the denial of it mm. and the fact that over and over again we trail, trial the same pilots and they always work and the government changes and so then we don't pick them up again. Mm. It's 40 years or more of the same thing. You see, I think one of the things that was really important about that burnout and and how do you keep going is it's not about me, it's about the issue and somebody has to be there, mm. you know, and sometimes I look around and mm. there is nobody else mm. who will be there and so I have to do it. And when you're elected, it's not like if I'm fed up with this in three months I'll find another job. Mm. You know, the noose is around your neck for the next three years. Mm. So I think that it was the passion um, for the issues and for the ideas that could keep me going. And I used to think that if I worked my brain hard enough each day and I ran far enough each day and I swam far enough each day, I would be so tired I could sleep, mm. you know, so that my brain didn't sit there blaming me for every inadequacy of the government I was part of. And then in the morning when the alarm rang... I moved so quickly I couldn't think. So I would, out of bed, pull the running gear on, go past the bathroom, go to the lavatory, out the door, lock it and run. So there was no time mm. ever to go, what a shit of a day and a shit of a life and a whatever. Mm. Right? And then running. And then once I was outside running in Wellington, mm. I, for the next sort of 45 to 60 minutes, it was going to be okay because Wellington was a distraction, mm. you know, and often it was beautiful, mm. you know, and you'd have to say to yourself, well, just try and remember this and balance this with the horrors of, you know, the coming day. Mm. So I was constantly trying to find ways to get through. Mm. I think something else was happening in this book. All the other books I've written, I've written with a deadline mm. or written to contract, mm. okay, which gives you a deadline. So I think nearly every manuscript I've ever submitted, I've been, you know, I knew that it could mm. have been better. And this one, I just, I didn't get in touch with my publisher until I'd finished seven chapters. Oh, wow. And by finished seven, I don't mean first draft. I mean 12th draft right. or whatever it is. 
um, because then the end was in sight. So in one way, you know, it wasn't until I finished and Sue Wood, who was the president of the mm. National Party, said to me, you can let it all go now. Mm. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was still carrying it all, if you mm. see what I mean. Yes, yes. Because I definitely tried to heal, mm. you know, going farming and, mm. you know, writing economics books and yeah. all kinds yeah. of other things. But, you know, she's absolutely right. And I finished that book and I feel as if my shoulders are four inches below my ears now instead of kind of constantly yeah. engaging with them. Mm. And I'm having the greatest sleeps. Oh, fabulous sleeps. That's amazing. Yeah. So, isn't that? That's cool. I think that's great. It's, it's, <laughs> can I ask, is, was it um, completion of the book or was it publishing of the book when you found that, that moment oh God, of it? Well, there wasn't much time in between. <laughs> oh, these days. Oh, it's an overdrive when it starts. Um, publishing, publishing, I think, is yeah. the truth. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, then finally, right. It's done. It's done. Yeah. yeah. Um, one, of, one of my friends said, you've got to ask her about the goats. Oh, they were my recovery, of really? course. Yeah, the farm was my recovery. Right. Yeah. So what, and is that because you grew up in that environment or...? No. Um, because I envied my constituents as I drove around. That's beautiful. And I thought... I'd love to have a driveway with early cheer and daffodils coming every spring underneath cherry blossoms and little lambs mm. gallivanting and how peaceful that would be, mm. you know. So there was a lot of that going through my head. In the book mm. I call it The Farm Dreaming. Yeah. That keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also I, I knew I would need to recover and I knew I couldn't stay in the Waikato, otherwise people would keep bringing me their problems. That was just mm. inevitable. Of course. So I needed to go and hide. Um, and goats. <laughs> well, yes, well, I have to oh, ask, why goats? If you knew a goat, you'd never <laughs> have to ask the question. They are clever, mm -hmm. naughty, witty, they, give, they gave me unconditional love, <laughs> right? Yeah. I could trust them right. to give me unconditional love. Yeah. I was chief goat. <laughs> I was their protector. Yeah. Um, they followed me because I was chief goat, so I never used dogs yeah. on the property. Wow. Um, and they're great. They're, truly, every day... They're a paddock full or more of entertainment. That doesn't mean it's easy because mm. they're escape artists par excellence. <laughs> but, yes, it made a huge difference. It was wonderful. So I had goats entertaining me and I planted lots of trees and I built a dam and I planted an orchard and, and I got well again. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. I had a great range of friends who came visiting the farm. Mm. So, you know, and, and of course, having a farm mm. also means everybody goes home with something, <laughs> right? right? So you can go home with the sack of pine cones, mm. right? Or you can go home with the sack of shit out of the wintering barn for mm. your garden. Mm. 
where you can go home with the basil or the tomatoes or the chutneys mm. or, you know, the different things that I'd then be making. Mm. Or you can go home with just with a big arm of flowers. It's wonderful, you know, because mm. you just, it's this great circle of healing that's about mm. being fed by people who love you and giving mm. and growing gorgeous things and being in an environment where there's not one moment of the day where another human can control mm. what's going on for you, yeah. you know, because the weather and the animals do that really. So, yeah, it was very important. At least I knew that was what I had to do. Mm. So, yeah. Eating fried chicken in the shower, save the book for the bath. Shower time is chicken time. How did you end up at Bob Marley's funeral? And listeners, this has nothing to do with mental health. This is purely my own curiosity. I bet you're jealous. I'm so jealous. I know. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well. Okay, so my great friend, Marcella Martinez, she... I I was finishing off my fellowship at Harvard Mm. and uh, she had been in the UN, that's when I knew her, and now she was running the Jamaican Tourist Bureau Mm. from New York and she always teased me because she'd been to New Zealand, you know, Mm. and it was so far away wearing, Mm. you know, and, uh, you know, when you're going to come to my home. So before I left to come back to New Zealand, she said, okay, you can go to Jamaica. And, of course, I thought it was all right Mm. because O10's engineering Mm. in Otorohonga, so Mm. my constituents, were exporting manufactured cow sheds to Jamaica. So I had a reason to go. And Groom and Company were doing a forestry contract in Jamaica as well, Mm. right, because... I have to justify why am I going. It's not to look at Negril sunsets. <laughs> so off I go, get on the plane, off I go, and I arrive. And from the moment you're at the airport, so you, something different has happened. Mm. And no women, no criers everywhere. Yeah. And so I go to the hotel and I start calling people for the appointments I had mm. and nobody is anywhere. And, you know, I know by now Bob has died. Anyway, then the phone rings and it's the Australian High Commissioner. And he said to me, I hope you've got the message from Canada. Well, because Jamaica is Commonwealth, Canada is Commonwealth, Mm. New Zealand is represented in Jamaica by our High Commission in Ottawa. Right. Yeah, mad. Anyway, I didn't have a message from them, but I wasn't about to tell an Australian. No, no. So he said, oh, well, I'll pick you up at 10 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, oh, I must be going. And I still didn't know. And mm. I didn't want to appear, you know, a complete mm. dick. So I said, and what do you suppose it would be appropriate to wear? Mm. It's a good women's it's line, good. isn't it? Good. So you can pull them out yeah. when you really need to. And <laughs> and he said, I think you could probably wear anything you like to a Coptic funeral. So I went, yes! Amazing. And... Yeah. When he was dying in mm. New York, mm. Eddie Siaga, the Prime Minister, mm. went to see him mm. and said, I'd like to make you the right honourable Robert Nestor Marley. Yeah. And Bob said, do it, man, do it. <laughs> so he was the right honourable Robert Nestor Marley. Uh-huh. So it was a state funeral. Oh, 
So I was the official representative of New Zealand at Bob's funeral. I was in the fourth row. I had a great seat, and it was amazing. And you have to read all the rest about it in the book. <laughs> how do you, how do world events sit with you? Because you're someone who, when you wrote your um, your first book, uh, great critique of the GDP, and you're someone who's seen an answer, and and repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> you, yes. you see where I'm going? Oh, with this. absolutely! Hello, is anybody awake out there? Hello, <laughs> until you wait to 2008 and the global financial crisis, you know, and then President Sarkozy asks three male Nobel laureates, so Fatusi, Sen and Stieglitz, mm. to discover what I discovered 30 years ago. <laughs> and I'm sure they got paid really well for it too. So, but, you know, most women... Like truly would mm. be able to tell you, oh, you go to the meeting and there's nine guys and there's two of us there. Mm. Finally, we get to say somebody something and everybody ignores it. And about 50 minutes later, one of the guys puts his hand up and says exactly what we said and they all think it's a wonderful idea. Yeah. You know, there's a particular gender dynamic that mm. just kind of goes on wherever you are. Just, just for, um, again, our younger viewers, and I do, I do think it's a fascinating read for people. I think when you're young and you're political, you think you're the first to wade into it. And you seemed very self-aware of the, of the history. But I think a lot of people, activism, they're like, this is the fight and we're, we're doing it and it's the first time. But it's so great to read yours, also heartening to read your story and go, oh, this, this has been much longer than my life. Mm, but also other things. On, uh, on the last Friday that we had the climate change, mm. um, students on the streets, mm. And listening to them. So first of all, on the streets. Mm. Well, that's what my generation did. Mm. To save Manipuri, to take back the night, mm. to try and stop apartheid mm. rugby, to uh, work towards a nuclear-free New Zealand. Mm. That's where we were, mm. on the streets. So that's number one. Great. I've always said to people that ticking like on a screen <laughs> is not a political activity. <laughs> So I want people on the streets because yeah. it's effective. But the other part that I finally caught up with are asking local authorities to declare a climate emergency. And mm. and people say, well, you know, of course it's of no great mm. consequence. It doesn't do this, that. Or, but in New Zealand, mm. from at least 1980, mm. local authorities started to declare themselves nuclear-free zones. Mm. And authority after authority would declare this and Muldoon would ridicule them and say, oh, you're already a nuclear-free zone or something. But what it was about was it was a reflection of what people in their area, and mm. I've always thought local government, if it does its job mm. properly, is much closer to the people. Mm. It should be if it does its job properly. So that by 1984, you could say, well, 60% of all New Zealanders live in a nuclear-free local authority. Mm. And what the young people are trying to do is to get enough local authorities to say that they're in a climate emergency, to try and move the target mm. back to 2040 instead of 2050. Mm. And so when I've been listening to that, I've been thinking, great, 
great. Stay on the streets. Mm. Stay with local authorities. This works. Just keep going. <laughs> so, you know, things like that, yeah. which give me, it's like, oh, it's really been worth it. Yeah, all of cool. these battles yeah. and all of this head knocking, oh God, <laughs> you know, mm. and you see these, for me, like I'm 67, mm. so there's two generations now mm. who are working politics and you see these courageous young women and men um, and yeah, I think, yeah, it's really worth it when you see that. Because, you know, you call yourself chief goat. I don't know if you're aware, but in sport, uh, we use goat as, like I'm an athlete, uh, we, they use uh, goat as greatest of all time. It's usually given to uh, Ali or, or Jordan, but I know quite a few, uh, especially women, uh, politically minded in this country, who look at Marilyn Waring and go, greatest of all time, because 22 years old, <laughs> you're, in, you're in parliament, you get elected, you find yourself uh, in Muldoon's cabinet. At one point, you're the only woman uh, in the government, uh, leading voice uh, on abortion rights, nuclear policy, um, uh, domestic violence and, and refuge, uh, incredible uh, economist um, as well, who writes a, a defining book, which gets turned into a, a documentary, um, you know, New Zealand Order of Merit. My question isn't about people knowing who you are. My question is, do you like know that you're Marilyn Waring? Well, I'm just a kid from Taupo. <laughs> <laughs> I am, you know. It's There's a moment in the book where I'm really desperately unhappy in the last term. Hmm. And I apply for this job outside. And the management consultants, yeah. you know, come. it's fine. I get hmm. an interview and I'm doing the interview and then they do the intelligence hmm. tests or whatever it is. You know. Yes. And he goes away to turn me into a radar diagram. And when he comes back, he's got this major problem because mm. I look really good on the radar diagram except mm. for one segment, and I mm. go right back into the sort of the zero. Mm. And he said, you don't appear to have any personal ambition. So I didn't grow up wanting yeah. to be famous or wanting to be an MP or mm. even wanting to be an economist. You know, I grew <laughs> up wanting to be a musician, so um, it, it, it doesn't sort of have that. Um, resonance for me. I know for my dad, he was very, very proud. <laughs> that was very special because, yeah. you know, none of my family had had the opportunity to go to university in the past. And my dad got, he had dreams, but he was mm. taken out of school, you mm. know, during the Second World War mm. to have to come back and work in the butcher shops because all the, uh, the apprentices got called up mm. and mum had to work on the farm when one of her brothers went and you know they didn't have the opportunities that mm. they were prepared to give my brother and myself you know but I know he was really proud you know so that's, that's enough pride for the family. <laughs> uh, we always the, in the family Singing was a way to get Marilyn through her motion sickness oh, right. so you yeah. know we could sing all the old shows from mm. start to finish and mm. play the guitar and sing other stuff. And You're still playing, still singing? No, mm. no. <clears throat> I, um, I, I stopped that a while ago, mm. but um, I loved it while I did it, yeah. you know. And uh, it was so funny, you know, when somebody like Leonard Cohen would come you know, on concert in New Zealand, mm. and you used to think you were the only person. 
<laughs> who had copies of his poetry books and sat alone in their bedroom, you know, going through all some of his very dark material. <laughs> and then you go to the concert, mm. or every time he came through I went, mm. you know, mm. and ha, 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 here are all these people you know who were all sitting in their bedrooms yeah. thinking they were the only people unhappy along with Leonard. No. <laughs> Did you play guitar at Parliament? Did you have a guitar? At I w well, in 1978, mm. uh, after the election result, mm. Mm. Um, it was the most money I think I'd just about ever spent on myself. I was so thinking, oh, God, mm. I'm the only woman. The next three years are going to be dreadful. Mm. So I walked down to Courtney Place and I bought the newest Takamine acoustic guitar. All right. Yeah. And... Uh, so yes, it very definitely helped me get through the next six years. What do you do now, if I can ask? Oh, well, I love great fiction. Really? Oh, I love great fiction. I'll take a read any time. Yeah? So, oh, love it. Um, and because I had to be so hard on myself writing mm. this book, because it had to go on top of after, you know, the paid work and after my mum mm. and then maybe it got in there... So I had I had all these years of no. First of all, I announced to my friends, this is the year of no. I can't come to dinner. I can't come for walks. can't go to anything in the arts festival. can't do the film festival. Got to the end of that year, said, oh, sorry, there's another year of no. Well, we're probably up to about three and a half years of no. Right. But the film festival starts in July and I am ready. <laughs> And on documentary days, I can have eyes like red-hot pokers because yeah. I start at 9.30 in the morning and I'm still there at 10 p.m. Are you a big documentary so, person? Oh, I love documentaries. Yeah? Yeah, well, they're political, <laughs> you know. But I like great movies too, mm. you know. But So I'm really looking forward to doing that. Um, well, we're coming to the end of our interview. Thank you very much. Thank you for the dumplings. I always ask my guests, is there anything that you would like to share while you're here in the shower? Any, anything we haven't covered that you'd like to say? Um, no, not especially. <laughs> um, it's the first time I've shared a shower for a long time. <laughs> I feel very privileged. <laughs> Marilyn Waring, thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure. Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower was produced by Charlie Bleakley and presented by me, James Nogise. The engineer is Blair Stagpole. The executive producers are Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. Subscribe to our podcast however you just found this podcast. Or if you're listening on the radio, go to RNZ's podcast page and look for the chicken. And when you're rating us, only give us five stars. Remember, more stars, more chicken. If you want to share your safe space or comfort food, tweet me, at James Nokise. If you need support, text 1737. Or for more resources on mental health, check the Fried Chicken webpage on the RNZ website. Faftailava matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.